0: say hi, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Many of you know that my wife Sue and I have six children and in two weeks we will have 12 grandchildren. Be our third set of twins in our family, isn't that crazy? Uh, So yeah, we're excited about that. Four of our kids went to college and university around the Twin City area. Uh, Two of them went to Bethel One went to Northwestern, the University of Northwestern, and they had kind of a little byplay back and forth between Bethel and Northwestern then, and our oldest son went to St. Olaf. Two of our kids wanted to go out of town for school, so Anna went to Loyola of Chicago, and Eric went all the way to Boston, to Boston University, and he told us it this way, he said, I'm going to be a middle school math teacher, which he is now in Chicago, and teachers don't make all that much. You know, I like to travel, so I'm going to travel away to school. Plus, he said, I, mu- I have to get out of you and mom's shadow. I said, shadow? We're not very big people. We don't cast much of a shadow. And he said, oh, you have no idea. So he got accepted at BU, and we packed all- almost all of his stuff into a big car top carrier put it on top of our 1991 honda accord the old boxy kind and took off for boston we get all the way to madison and someone pulls up in the lane and honks at us and points to our car and i i roll the window down looking well the car top carrier was sliding off at about 65 well probably 70 miles an hour and uh, thankfully we were right by an exit we get the exit off the exit found an automotive store, and I bought the widest and brightest colored orange ratchet straps you could find, and we secured that baby. Uh, we were quite the sight driving to Boston. We get there, Eric was so embarrassed when we unloaded his stuff, da-da-da. We spent the weekend trying to get him settled, so we helped figure out public transportation, and we really wanted him to connect with the church, because he's going to be a long ways away, and we wanted him to continue to grow, and he's a wonderful young man. So we we find that there's two vineyard churches in Boston at the time, and I said, I looked at the times, I said, we can go to both of them, one at 830 and one at (laughs) eleven. Of course, Eric was totally thrilled with that plan, but he did it. And we go and one of the pastors was actually the son of Gordon Fee, if you read New Testament theology, and he connected with Eric and said, Hey, could I pray for you? He kind of knew son of a pastor that Eric was probably had some of his struggles, so he prayed for him and he had a wonderful word for him. Eric, this is gonna be a great time for you while you're at university. You are going to own your own faith and you're really gonna grow. Uh, Eric told us that we were thrilled. So he uh, finds intervarsity, gets really involved there, meets his wife there. That was awesome. And then he gets connected to a vineyard church, and he serves as a children's leader for the entire 10 years they were in Boston. It was awesome time. He made a really good transition, and we were happy. It wasn't an easy transition. The Sunday when we said our goodbyes in his dorm room before we left, well, some of you know me, I started to lose it. And uh, he started to lose it. Finally, he says in his tears, Mom, get him out of here and go home. I have to start my life. <laughs> I got all the way to the elevator before I started crying. (laughs) Find out later Eric was crying in his room, too. It wasn't an easy transition, but it was a good one, and we made it. Friends, transitions, I think, are the most challenging times in life. But if they're done well, they can be the most growth-producing times. Jesus spent his last hours helping his disciples make the biggest transition of their life. Today, I wanna begin a new series of messages with you that we're calling Moving Forward. And during this Lenten season, which begins on Ash Wednesday, we'd really love to have you come and enjoy that with us. It's gonna be a new experience for all of us. We'll be exploring Jesus' words to his disciples recorded in John chapter 13 to 17. Now, by this time, Jesus had finished his public teaching and ministry, and he pulled back to be with the first 12 that he'd called. Now, he spent all night in prayer to God on the mountain getting the names of these people and calling them. They were really special to him. They'd been together for three years. They shared all kinds of experiences, and he wants to prepare them. So he says says this, John says this in uh, John 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. We're going to continue to read that more in just a little bit. So Jesus was moving forward. He was going back to heaven to be with his father after accomplishing everything his father had given him to do. Now he was going to prepare his disciples because guess what? They were going to move forward too into a new phase of their life. They were going to continue the ministry of Jesus on earth. Jesus was going to die, rise from the dead, spend 40 days again teaching them, go back to heaven, send the Holy Spirit to them so they could continue with work. And guess what? You and I are called to continue that same work. Those. So these, these chapters aren't just for them, they're for us. We're going through a major transition here at Mercy Vineyard. From Jeff and Lake Hugh as founding pastors to me as interim lead pastor, and now we've just begun our search for our new long-term lead pastor. And we'll be hearing a little bit more about that. In fact, I'll just mention, two, in a couple weeks, Sunday, March 8, at 4 o'clock, we're going to have a meeting, and the same kind, exact same kind of meeting on on Wednesday the 11th. And the search team will be sharing some things. We want to hear from you, questions, comments, thoughts, things that are important to you. And we want to pray together, because we're in this together as a whole community, and we want community discernment. So it's a big transition for us as well. Uh, how can we move forward? Jesus moved forward, those first followers did, you and I are called to move forward into the wonderful future that God has called us to be a part of. All right, uh, this, this fall I was driving into work here and I was praying for us and I just felt like God said, why don't you look at John 13 to 17, live in it, because you'll learn a lot about how to make a really good transition, because that's what I taught my gang. And I said, well, if you did that, that... Probably would be smart for us to learn. So that's why we're doing this. So let's, let's look at the rest of, uh, back to John 13 here. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew, there's three things he knew you'll find out here. He knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Isn't it interesting, in that first verse, such a tremendously warm sense, Jesus loved his disciples during his entire time, he loved them to the end, all of a sudden, boom, the devil, isn't that the way life works? You'll have this great stuff happening with God, but then sometimes you get boom. So it was happening to Jesus as well. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he'd come from God, would return to God, so he got up from the table. Jesus was fully and completely secure in who he was and what he was called to do, so he could humble himself and serve other people. I think there is a message for you and I in that. I know for me, the more I experience the love of God, the more I'm confident in who I am in Christ, then I can serve anyone. I don't have to kind of grab for my place because I've got a place. God wants all of that for you and for me, that you would know who you are, that you'd know the gifts you have, you'd know the place he's given you, and you would enjoy it. So he gets up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now many of you have probably heard this many different times, so I'm just going to encourage you, try to hear it fresh again today. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. Peter liked to argue with Jesus. Did you ever notice that? He really seemed to like to argue with Jesus. No, he protested. You'll never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, well, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me or you won't have a relationship with me. That's an interesting verse. Simon Peter exclaimed, Well, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Don't you love Peter? He was just all in all the time. Often on the wrong direction, but he was all in. You never had to wonder, what does Peter think? (laughs) Because Peter's going to tell you what he thinks, right? (laughs) I'm so excited to meet Peter in heaven among many, many other people. Uh, And it is really interesting if you read these things and then you read Peter's first and second letter, Boy, did God do a work in his life because it's Peter in 1 Peter 5 that talks about humbling yourselves before God. How did he learn that? I think he learned it from situations like this. All right, Jesus said, a person who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for their feet to be entirely clean. That's interesting. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. What do we see here? Oh, well, I, see, I see several things. First, Jesus shows us what real love looks like. Jesus knew who he was, knew why he came, so he came as a servant. He knew the time had come for him to go back to heaven. He also knew the Father had given him authority over all things, and he knew that his betrayer was in the midst, knew who he was, and still loved him to the end. He loved all his disciples all the way to the end, including Judas, and he humbled himself by doing what only the lowest slave in the household would do, wash feet. So it was a wonderful act of humility in itself, but it's more than that. It's actually like a prophetic action. In the Old Testament, you would have prophets that would speak prophetic words, but sometimes they did actions that spoke just as loud or even louder than words. This was like a prophetic action because it pointed to the great washing that Jesus was about to do on the cross where he would wash away all our sins. Aren't you glad for that? (laughs) I remember, I don't know, I'm old enough to remember the ivory soap commercial 99 and 44 one-hundredths pure. Remember that? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wash away 99% of your sins? I mean, you're really wonderful people. Uh, But even 99% of all of our sins would be a lot, right? But he did 100%. Paul says this in Titus 3.5. He, meaning Jesus, saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to wash away all our sins, to be thoroughly clean. I have a good friend. His name is Bob. He's with Jesus now. Uh, Bob was an alcoholic for about 50 years, and he had all the associated challenges with his alcoholism. He was not good to his family. Uh, (coughs) He got free. Jesus freed him healed him, changed his life. Bob became a leader in our recovery ministry, and he would tell all of us, he'd say this to me regularly, John, you don't clean yourself up before you go take a shower. You just go take a shower. Meaning, don't try to clean yourself up so Jesus will like you more. He already loves you and likes you incredibly. Just come to Jesus. He's the one who makes us clean. Another commercial, this is the day of commercials. Anybody remember the Mr. Clean commercials? Yeah. Anybody Well, enough, you know? It just sparkles everything, bam, 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 and it's all clean. Jesus is the ultimate Mr. Clean, Woo! isn't he? He came to wash away all our sins. So I'm, I'm, I'm hanging here for a little bit because this is so important. It's so tempting as humans, out of our shame-based lives, whatever, to think, Golly, i got to balance the scales a little bit. I had kind of a bad week last week. I wasn't the kindest person to everyone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ramp it up this week. I'm going to be super kind to everybody this week. You ever think that way? Come on. You all think that way, right? You may not say it out loud like I do, but you may think that way, right? <laughs> Jesus doesn't want that. He says, hey, just come to me. Good week, bad week, mediocre week, whatever. Come to me. We'll be praying for each other in a little bit. One of the things I'm going to encourage you to lean into is if you came with some kind of sins hanging on you, you just feel bad about the week, not everything went great, you didn't respond great every time, hey, leave it here. Bring it to Jesus. Don't take it home with you. Don't carry it around Monday. Just leave it here right now. That's the blessing of coming to Jesus. He came to wash away all our sins. He's really good at it. Now what about the feet thing? He said if you're clean all over, you just need to wash the feet. Well, you live in a broken world, as I do. You're a broken person, as I am, on our way to being made whole. Guess what? We step in stuff. I mean, sometimes literally. <laughs> but we step into relational stuff, right? That doesn't feel great. Sometimes hurts. People don't always treat us as well as we like. We step in stuff. So we need to get clean. Jesus has already done the big washing, but he's great. He will do the everyday washing too if we come, if we come. Learn to come, learn to come. All right, verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Let me stop there a second. God will bless you for what? For thinking about these things? For reading this like 112 times. That's a good to read it 112 times. I've probably read it maybe 113 times. I don't know. But he blesses you for doing it. It's in the doing that we actually learn and grow. Right? So if you're going to fly in a plane, would you rather fly with a pilot and say, Hey, I read three manuals. Have you ever actually flown? No, but I've read three manuals. Yeah, I'm not getting in the plane with that guy. I want somebody who's flown a lot of miles. Jesus, in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about two different different people that that experience a lot of the same things. One person is foolish, one person is wise. They both hear the words of Jesus. They both build houses. They both experience storms, but there's different results. The ones who hear the words and don't do anything about it, guess what happens to their house when the storm comes? And the houses represent lives. It's washed away because it's put on sand. But the one who hears the words of Jesus puts them into practice poorly in the beginning. Isn't that the way we learn? Did you ever do anything perfectly the first time you tried? I never have. If something's worth doing well, it's worth doing poorly while you're learning. Isn't that right? There's a learning curve but if we choose to put Jesus' words into practice, we're like that wise person who's building his house or her house on the rock. And when the same storms come, because they come to all of us, friends, the storms come to everyone. I would like to tell you, hey, after today, no more storms for any of us. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd also be a lie. Because storms are gonna come. But if your house is built on the rock, it'll stand. Can I tell you, you guys know this, but mercy's gone through a big storm. But we're standing because of Jesus and his faithfulness and because of people like you, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. I want to learn how to put his stuff into practice. And we help each other do that, don't we? That's what At Mercy Wednesday is about. That's what growth groups are about. That's what all of our stuffs about. We try to help each other follow Jesus together. So he says, you're blessed if you do them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says the one who eats my food has turned against me now eating food with someone in that culture truth and same today meant you were friends when you ate bread together you were saying i am with you i want you to be my friend and so on so when we have communion later that is an example of that we're saying to jesus thank you for being my friend Thank you for the one who washes away all my sins. I wanna be your friend, I wanna follow you. So, the one who eats my food is turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you'll believe that I'm the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger welcomes me, isn't that awesome? As you live a life faithful to Jesus, learning to share good words, doing good works, people welcome you, they really welcome Jesus. Anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now, Jesus was deeply troubled. Do you know that Jesus had feelings? They were intense feelings. This is, the, I think, the third time talks about John talks about him being deeply troubled. He did at the grave of sight of Lazarus. I mean, He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he saw the devastation that death had done to Martha and Mary and their family and he was deeply troubled. It's probably not even strong enough words. The Greek words are meant, I mean, really mean, he was out of his mind mad. Who was he mad at? He wasn't mad at himself, or the father, or Lazarus, or Mary and Martha. I think he was mad at death, and the devil who had tricked us and brought death into the world. Now he's deeply troubled again, because you know he's given, his, he's given himself to Judas for three years. He's loved Judas, he's taught Judas. He slept outdoors by Judas. He gave himself to all of them, including Judas, but now Judas is turning away. Even though he knows that what Judas is doing is gonna propel the fulfillment of him going to the cross, dying and rising, he's still deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering who, whom he could mean. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is sh- kind of shorthand for John, <laughs> was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Now, you need a picture here, and if I have thought about it enough, I'd actually had a picture on the screen And I'm gonna to try to paint one. Remember Da Vinci's The Last Supper, where they're all standing? That's a beautiful work of art, and it's totally inaccurate. <laughs> it wasn't a straight table. It was a U-shaped table. That's what they ate at, and they would, they, would, they, would, they would low table. They'd recline on couches. They'd kind of lay on their left arm, and they'd eat with their right hand, and their feet would be extended backwards. And so Jesus is at the, at the center of the you, the place of honor. Who's right next to him on his right side? It's the disciple Jesus loved. It's likely that Judas was on the left side. So John leans back because he could do that. They were all sitting, They were all kind of leaning in. So this is like an intimate dinner where you're leaning in toward people and hearing them. And so they're leaning in and John could lean onto Jesus' chest and whisper in his ear. So he does that. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter, you know, Peter's always in charge, right, Uh, motioned, hey, find out who he's talking about. I'm sure Peter is quite hoping that it's not me. Anyway, (laughs) so that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, This is kind of crazy and weird, isn't it? Satan entered into him. One of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Satan had prompted Judas early. We read in other places where Judas was was the treasurer and that he had dipped into the treasury. He'd stolen money from the disciples. Uh, That might have been the early beginning of Satan getting a control of his life because remember, what does Jesus call Satan? He's a thief. And so Judas was a thief and they quote, bonded over stealing. So Satan enters into him. Jesus told him, hurry, do what you're going to do. In other words, get it done. Let's get this thing done. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus would tell him, go and pay for the food or go and give some money to the poor. Really common things they did with their money. So Judas left at once going out into the night. Now that's again a literal thing. It was dark at night, but it's spiritual too. Satan entered him and he went into the darkness. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. How did Jesus enter into his glory? He entered into it through his death. The crucifixion in the book of John is not a defeat, it's not even a temporary downer, it's a victory. That's how Jesus entered into his glory. God the Father was glorified by Jesus fulfilling everything he'd said to do. In the councils of heaven before the creation of the world, when the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit talked about, how are we going to rescue these dear people that have gone astray? They came to the conclusion somebody had to die. Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And the Father said, all right, I'll send you. Holy Spirit said, I'll empower you. And so they did it together, but they each had discrete jobs. And so now the Father is being glorified because Jesus is fulfilling this great plan. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he, meaning God, the Father, will give his own glory to the Son. That's the resurrection where the Father said, Jesus says on the cross in John 19, 31, it's finished, or I paid it in full. And the Father in the resurrection says, yes, I accept it. It's done and he will do so at once. So, dear children, can you feel the intimacy here? These are Jesus' friends, these are his closest buddies. Three years being together. Dear children, I will be with you only a little while. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you'll search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. i bet he said that with great feeling. Just as I've loved you, Love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, well, Lord, where are you going? Peter always had a question, right? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Why can't I come now? (laughs) I'm ready to die for you. Don't you love Peter? He's just all in. All right, I'll go with you, I'll die too. (laughs) And Peter was also not very self-aware. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I like Peter because I've been both of those. I've been all in, and I've been pretty clueless a lot of the time. <laughs> ah, Jesus knew Peter better than he knew himself. And you know what? Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, and that's a super good thing. That's a super good thing, because he can call out of you the very best because he sees it. And that's what really good friends do. Good friends don't see less. Good friends see more, Right? they see more. And they call out the very best, and they help you when you're not at your best. Jesus is a great friend. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. All right. Huge passage. What are some of the things we can see from this? Jesus loved Judas right up to the end. Judas shows us the horrible power of evil choices and Jesus loved him right up to the end. He Washed his feet, too, and he was deeply troubled by what Jesus was about to do. It's interesting, John has Peter and Judas here, and there's some similarities, right? They both denied Jesus, but what's the difference? Judas kept on that road and eventually killed himself. Peter turned around. Can I say to you, I'm not recommending you do evil things, please, okay, just for the recording. I am not recommending anybody here does an evil thing. But we all do stuff that we're not happy about later, realize, ah, what the heck was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Da 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 da. It isn't the evil things that we do that can ultimately ruin us, it's not turning around. One of the things that Sue and I have tried and I think been fruitful with with our own kids is talking to them how important it is to learn to turn around. We call it in the Bible, repenting. It means turning around. If you're going the wrong way, my dad used to tell me this all the time. John, if you're going the wrong way, accelerating is not going to help you. (laughs) He was so right. I still did accelerate at times in the wrong direction. But thankfully, Jesus broke in and he turned me around. And he wants to turn us around. And so, yeah, this is part of the getting your feet clean, too. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I was rude. I was harsh. I spoke before I was thinking. I am so sorry. I'll go to the person if if I've done that out loud to somebody and say, I'm really sorry. That was a rude thing to say. Would you please forgive me? And hopefully they'll say yes, and we'll start over and build a better relationship. That's turning around. Peter turned around. I encourage you. Be one who turns around as quickly as you can when you realize, ah, this is the wrong direction. This isn't what God wants. I'm gonna turn around. Or at least slow down so you can make a turn, okay? Jesus loved Judas right up to the end. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a close friend, and he can help you if you've been betrayed by a close friend. First thing, let Jesus wash your sins. Second thing, we all need to learn how to deal with betrayal, because I'm just telling you, friends, a little long time. If you follow Jesus, Jesus was betrayed, and so will you. It just happens. We uh, was one year when I, at River Heights, where I think I was depressed the entire year. You know, I wasn't very self-aware. Met it. I didn't know it. I just thought my whole life sucked almost every day. Now, I still could preach. I love preaching. I still could teach. I, was, I could pray with other people. I just couldn't pray for myself. I felt like it was just dark. I don't know what to do. This was back in the in-the-wall days when you answered phones. And we didn't have a big staff, so I was in the office more often. Phone would ring, and I would fight to actually answer it because I thought, I can't take another problem. I just can't do it. Thankfully, I had good friends. Now, why was that the case? Well, I had four really close friends leave the church right in, the, in a short period of time. Two of them left really well. They moved away. They thanked us for everything we'd done, da, da 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 da. Two left, I would say, from my experience, badly. And they left saying some things that I thought were not really true about Sue and I, and they were really hurtful. And Satan put power on their words and really disabled me in many ways. I felt betrayed and I didn't know what to do. I knew I shouldn't hold grudges, I knew I shouldn't go back at them, so I did forgive and I did bless, but it just knocked the wind out of me. Speaking of the wind, I need to find a way to stop this timer. All right, and then I'm gonna gonna bring this to a close, that's my alert. All right. (laughs) I have to set it early because I know I always go over a couple minutes. anyway. That's a little trick. You can use it if you want. <laughs> anyway, uh, where am I here? Uh, so I know what it feels like on the inside. Now, I, I've because I had good friends that actually, one of them came to me and kind of looked me in the eye and took my shoulders so I wouldn't run away and said, how are you? <laughs> and I said, how the heck do I know who I am? I don't know. Uh, well, you don't seem like yourself. What do you mean? Well, you're, like right now, you're a little sharp and short and harsh, and you're not normally that way when you're at your best. And I just cried, and I kind of fell into that, it was a guy, fell into his shoulders, and I just cried for a while. I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, Jesus will help you, I'll help you. We'll get through this. And we did! I just want to tell you, friends, living in a broken world, following Jesus, if you haven't already experienced something like what I'm talking about, Just saying, you will, so what can you do? This is the second big thing today. One, let Jesus wash your sins away. Two, deal with people that hurt you, betray you, in a way that you find freedom. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you forgive. You choose to to forgive, you choose to let God be the judge, and you choose to bless. And Jesus will bring freedom your lives. Now, it's not magic. I'm not saying it's instant. I'm not saying immediately you'll feel all great and better and completely revived, but you'll be on the right road. You'll be on the road to experiencing freedom and blessing. Forgiveness is like keeping the wound clean while it's healing. I don't know, when I was a kid, I'd be outside and I'd, I'd, I was pretty Active outside, and I'd get my hands cut and I'd come in the house and mom would say, Oh, we need to wash that off. And that was okay. And then she'd say, Now we need to put some macarochrome or some iodine on it. Anybody ever had that happen to an open wound? Ah, I would run for the hills and she'd catch me and hold me down and put that on there. And it stung. But it kept me. She said, Do you want to lose your hand? I said, No, you're not gonna do that, are you? (laughs) <laughs> Parents, you know, we say some things and we think they're actually helpful. That was scary. Lose my hand, mom. You're supposed to be my mom. Anyway, she said, I don't want you to lose your hand. That's why I, want, I don't want infection there. Well, forgiveness is kind of like that. Minus, well, there is some stinging with forgiveness, truth be told. If you've been hurt deeply, it, it does hurt. But not forgiving hurts way more. It'll kill you. So we forgive. The wound is kept clean, and God heals, and he's healing us, and he's healing you. Third thing today is, would you like to experience this great love? Would you like to, like metaphorically, be able to lean your head onto Jesus' chest and say, oh, Jesus, I just want you. Sarah Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' wife, Jonathan Edwards was an early Christian leader on the East Coast. He was actually the founder of Yale University brilliant man, great teacher. They had like 13 kids. They were even crazier than my wife Sue and I, 13 kids. And so she's busy and she'd have an apron. And at times when she wanted to be with Jesus, she taught her kids this. She said, mama needs Jesus. And so she'd flip her apron over her head. And when that was the case, mama's with Jesus. And you leave mama alone, because mama needs Jesus. And when mama brings the apron down, she's gonna be a much better mama to you. So leave mama alone when the apron's up. It was so funny, I think it was an awesome, so whatever you need to do to be with Jesus, be with Jesus, okay, let's stand together and we could have the worship folks come back, that would be awesome.